Kia and welcome to this episode of Better Off Red. This is episode 66 and my name is Pip Adam. Um, this is the first in a three-part series which celebrates the publication of AUP po- um, New Poets 5. So launched in 1999, um, Auckland University Press's New Poets first introduced readers to Anna Jackson, Sonia Yalich, Janice Frigard and Chris Teese, and many other significant New Zealand voices. Relaunching this year under the editorship of Anna Jackson and with a bold new look, AUP New Poets 5 includes substantial selections from the poetry of Carolyn DiCarlo, Sophie Van Wardenberg and Rebecca Hawkes. Um, we start this series of conversations with um, a chat I had with Carolyn DiCarlo, whose section in AUP New Poets 5 is called Winter Swimmers. So I asked Caro to choose a poem by herself and one by another poet as sort of a starting point for our conversation. Um, Carolyn chose her poem Spy Valley, which opens her collection, and um, actually the whole book of AUP New Poets 5 and Zachary Schomburg's series Inside We Make Children's Sandwiches and this series by um, Zachary Schomburg actually opens his collection um, Paul Vermaer um, poems 2014 to 2018 so we had an interesting conversation about poems and context and um, yeah the idea of an opening poem or an opening series so um, it was a fantastic conversation I'm very grateful for Carolyn for making the time for us to have this chat and yeah I really hope you enjoy it and thanks heaps for listening how are you? Good, how are you? Awesome, I'm really, really good. Thanks heaps for, um, yeah, having us here today, it's very cool. It's just me, I always say us, like it's like the royal we, but yeah, <laughs> it's just me here today. So, um, we are going to talk about two sort of poems standing alone. One is yours, and it comes from AUP New Poets 5, your section in that, which is called The Winter Swimmers. Mm. And the other thing we're going to talk about is a series of poems called Inside Me. Oh, Inside We Make Children's Sandwiches. And that is from Polvermar, um, which is by Zach Schomburg. Yes. So we're going to talk about those. Um, what I wanted to do to start off with, maybe, is to ask sort of just a generalized question about. Um, terminology I guess like in the introduction to the AUP New Poets 5 Anna Jackson um, who edited it says of your work um, a surrealism can emerge from the intensity of her imaginative empathy from a piece of wordplay or word slippage and I'm just wondering about this word surrealism like is that a good word to use um perhaps in some of the moments in your poetry and some of the moments in um, Zach Schomburg's poetry where the world shifts from perhaps the agreed idea of what reality is. How do you feel about that word surrealism? Um, I don't know that it's the word that I would gravitate toward, but I have no problem with it. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I think in my head, like I'm comfortable with the idea of speculative fiction and I feel like my aesthetic in terms of that side of my poetry gravitates toward like speculative poetry, but that's not really a thing that anyone talks about. So like surreal 
Surreal seems good. Surreal <laughs> fits. Um, but it's kind of just like, for me, it's like not necessarily reality versus non-reality. It's like interpretation and getting to the root of things without feeling tied to use traditional means of language and like breaking down what language can do besides like like when people try to use it too logically I feel like that's when misinterpretation happens and for me like getting into like odd things that happen around us isn't always something that we can use like the English language in a straightforward way to tackle whether that's like emotional or things we see or more spiritual it doesn't really I think it can affect all of those different things but it's like why not use poetry to try to get toward things like that yeah I love that idea I really love it um I yeah I, I think I wrote to you that I sort of have this squeamishness when people start saying um realism and non-realism and you know because I think that the world is bigger than that you know and I think that experiences yeah I like that idea of speculation rather than yeah I, I really like that um which poem do you want to deal with first like should we talk about Zach Schomburg first or should we talk about your poem first oh it's a good question I don't know I think I I met I met Zach Schomburg's poetry before I met the like Spy Valley poems. I guess we could talk about his first. Um, even though Pulvermar is a more recent collection. Mm, mm. Um, but like I was I got into Zach Schomburg when I was still doing my MFA in the States. So that must have been back in like 2011, 2012, when he had already published a book called Scary No Scary. Um, and that's like there hasn't been anything that's come close to reading the experience of reading that book for me. And like, I could read it again and again and just, it's like a comfort, but also like, I think something new comes out of it each time. Um, so yeah, if we want to talk about Zach Schomburg's writing. Let's do that. So what do you think it is about his work as a whole like well, well let's go back a step like did you when you first came in contact with it in 2012 did you was it recommended to you did you bump into it did you see him read how did what happened um black ocean press was which is a small press that like all of his work has been published with black ocean um as far as i know mm -hmm. um and he had, I guess, a couple, like, I'm not sure what the order of his books is, but I know Scary No Scary was one of the first, if not the first full length. Mm. And I just, um, a friend of mine in my MFA um, year, who was a poet, I was on the fiction side, mm, mm. um, was really into like small presses and online literature and like all of that and 
kind of introduced me to the general, like, that that sort of side of literature and contemporary literature and contemporary poetry um, in that way and was like, you have to read Scary No Scary, you have to read this. It was like one of like 20 different books that he was like pushing into my hands. And that one just, I remember where I was when I read it for the first time. Like it's one of those books where it's like, I was like sitting on campus and read it in like two and a half hours, just cover to cover and was like blown away. Like never seen anyone do anything like that before. Uh, never had anything sort of like resonate with me like that before. And was just like, I don't know, like, lapping it all up at the time that, like, poetry, which I already really liked, like, older poetry um, during high school, I was not one of those kids who was like, ew, like, <laughs> I don't like old, like old school poetry is so bad and terrible. I was like, wow, this Ezra, like, Ezra Pound is so amazing. And, like, total, like, literature and poetry like nerd but then seeing like what was being done now mm. and like what what you could do with language was like I'd already like you know moved on from the high school phase but at this point I was kind of like yeah this is what like this is what I want to be a part of wow so that um I really liked how you talked about what language could do and was that what you think first attracted you to the writing like um there's a degree of wordplay and stuff like that but do you think can you remember what it was that made it stand out like um yeah like yeah what what makes you continue to enjoy his work as well it's um like the way he uses words connects with me on an emotional level that's like below language like it's like 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 I feel like I'm getting insight into the way he thinks rather than the way he talks mm. and it's like something that I feel like it, it gives you a way to access um, emotions that otherwise would seem really maudlin mm, mm, mm. in a way that's removed enough that you can appreciate it without feeling like you're reading something gauche or something like, oh, this is too sentimental. You know, it's like you're... you're you're able to sort of stay in it without that immediate remove that I feel mm. when people get really emotional and I feel uncomfortable. Mm. It's like a way of connection that hits you on a different level than just saying the words. Mm. Um, I don't know. I mean... If we wanted to go into examples of the yeah, poems, but, that might make it less abstract for me. But like, well, let's do that at that like, level. Yeah, yeah. I really, I really, I really like um, that idea. Like, um, 
because um, the series that you've chosen is called, it has a heading page and it's an Inside We Make Children Sandwiches. It's in the book Pulvermar, which isn't out yet, is it? It is. It is. Oh, cool. Yes. Cool. So you can get a copy of it. Um, and I guess, like, it's a series of what I would call prose poems, but I could be wrong. Um, yeah, and... I just, yeah, what, what is it about this series that you think is quite an indicative, or what, what made you, what, why, why, the, why, this, why this part of the book? Um, I think with Scary No Scary, um, the first poem in the book is called Scary No Scary, and it sets you up for the book. Mm, mm. Like, it, it sets up this idea of what the book's going to be doing, mm. the sort of language the book is going to use, the sort of topics, um, the tone. And I think I'm, real, I, I'm very interested right now in, like, how something like poetry can extend across a whole book. Mm. Like, when mm -hmm. you read mm -hmm. Chelsea Minnis, it's not clear whether they're individual poems or whether it's just all one long poem. Um, I think the poetry that I have in the new poets, mm. like with the winter swimmers, mm -hmm. there's five poems that are all titled winter swimmers. And it's not like winter swimmers one, winter swimmers two. They're all just equal playing field, like supposed to be read together but not in a specific order necessarily. Mm -hmm. They all can stand alone, but they work together. And like, I'm, I'm interested in how you get into a collection, what you start with, and like whether that first poem needs to do the work of like introducing the, the collection or whether, I mean, it can. And, and I kind of like it when it does mm -hmm. and, and when it sort of like sets up this trajectory, even if it's not all within the same world, you're sort of figuring out what this poet is aiming for with this collection. Mm. Um, I like that idea and I guess Spy Valley, which is the first poem in mine, is trying to do that in the same sense that I feel like this first section maybe even just this first poem. Mm. Um, but certainly in Scary No Scary with the first poem in that book um, is like setting you up in terms of this is what what you mm. should be prepared for. Mm. Um, would, so, you, yeah. would you be willing to read that first poem? You don't sure. Yeah, so the book is called Pulverma and the first poem is called Pulverma. So I'll leave it to you. Okay. There once was a Mar named Pulvermar. Pulvermar loved being a Mar. It loved its rim and its footpath, and it loved its phreatomagmatic eruptions and its bathing place. But what it loved most of all was its dove. Like all doves, its dove was a dove of love. The dove dove deep, down deep. It dove down deep into the Mars love, where it is warm and where it is made. Man. I remember um, reading over that and thinking about that line, the dove dove deep 
down because <laughs> you know, <laughs> dove and do the same spelling um, yeah so i mean what what is that poem what's interesting about that poem like what what like i i really hear it now that you're reading it i really hear that thing you were saying before about how it seems to somehow um mainline into emotions rather than it being about a situation or a you know is that sort of what you were saying or have i got that wrong yeah i think that's i think you've got it i think it's like i mean it's it is sort of um it's prop like you don't even need to know what amar is <laughs> no. or who pulvermar is to understand what he's feeling about this whole identity that he has or it has or whatever you want to call it you know like if it because he's like a landmass or like a thing not really a person but you get this level of emotion from something that's not even human that you might not get from just having a conversation with another human. Mm, mm. And it's like, that's the part that I really like, that access point. And, like, you feel emotions about this character that he's building um, without the character just coming out and directly talking to you. Mm. I don't know. Because that's the thing that I thought was quite incredible when I read through it. Like, there are several... This idea of... Um, I like that word you used, identity, because I, I sort of thought of it as just thoughts and words and feelings are often sitting on non-human things. And I was wondering... Um, and you you do that as well, you know, like, um, in, in some of your work. And... Um, you know, like, in that great thing that Anna said about how in your poetry sometimes being human is the oddest thing of all. But I just, to what end, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to explain my emotional response. That seems bad. But, like, to read um, the poem that has the boy called Bob, the B-U-O-Y boy right. called Bob. And, um, yeah, like, there seems to be some great thing that happens for me there where I'm not concerned with do I know this person? Is this person like me? I'm like I say, I'm getting straight to the emotion of loss or friendship or caring, sort of without having to think about a human being in the road of it. I don't know. Have you got any thoughts on that? Uh, I do. Oh, good. Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like one thing that I've been thinking about since I first, like, since you first sort of posed that question to me, is, like, the idea of poetry doing the work of physical touch mm. without access or permission, like, without needing access or permission. And, like, um, like, poetry on that basic level and not necessarily just for things like Hallmark cards, mm -hmm. you know, like not like grief and sadness and loss, although obviously that's important as well, like just connection and um, and it being sort of like a precognitive need for connection. And I feel like in contemporary society, 
where people are alone a lot more or feeling lonely, like being able to access someone else on an emotional level and feel that like brain to brain connection on a page rather than even needing or wanting someone to come and like be in that space with you being able to connect that way on a page that's like in a way what poetry does and has been doing for centuries like that's why you can still read something from like the 1800s and feel like there's an emotional connection there Mm -hmm. um and I think I don't know if that's I don't even remember exactly what your original question was here. <laughs> Can you repeat it? I think I think I just said something about um, and I think <clears throat> I think that you've totally answered it. Like, because I just am really interested in this. Um, what um, I guess at its simplest form, I'm thinking, how am I? I'm very interested in this idea of making me feel intensely about objects. You know what I mean? And and like um. And I, I think it, the, the simple answer in my head a couple of weeks ago was it's personification, but I don't think that's what's going on. I think it's more what you're saying. I think that it is, it's, it's some sort of, yeah, there, there's some sort of thing that's happening above language or below language or without language or um, what's what I'm looking for, um, in spite of language. You know, I think, uh-huh. I think, I think, yeah, I think that's closer to the truth. But or the, or whatever the truth is, God, capital T truth. <laughs> we all gonna we are gonna get the truth. <laughs> um, a few of the poems in the first um section, um, of 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 Shawmong's book, they do sort of start with this kind of um. I think a couple of them start with there once was, and there's a couple that almost have like a limerick rhythm to them, and I'm just wondering. I'm interested in this idea of, I mean, the fairy tale maybe, but also the idea of story and poetry, you know, like this, um, yeah, like sometimes um, poems sit as like a photograph, which I guess is narrative as well, but there does seem to be something happening back to a beginning, middle and end in some of the poems. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um... I I definitely see that in his writing, and I think that I gravitate toward reading a lot of both poetry and like flash fiction and stuff that mm-hmm. that does um, involve fantasy at least in some elements, um, whether it's just one sort of one little bits or whether the whole thing is based in fantasy um I don't know I just I I like reading things that incorporate that and and I'm not opposed to reading realism at all or Mm -hmm. like you know more spec or sorry not speculative more just like literary fiction or poetry that's driven by like a uh, connection to the self like that mm. you can totally just see this is you know the narrator that's on the page 
is the person who's the author. Mm. Like, I don't have anything against reading that, enjoying that. Um, but I do also really think that there is something there when you're involving something beyond that. Mm. Um, and I think in certain circumstances, it's not, it's not helpful to sort of um, try to hide, like give that a hierarchy, which I think happens sometimes where like if it's not just real, then it's genre. Mm. And who in who in the world is going around and not using their imagination at all? You know, like I hope not that many people. <laughs> like I I don't know. Like like it's good to use your imagination, I think, in and not just for children to do that. Like it builds empathy, it builds like, you know, I don't know, like, people love things like Game of Thrones, like, adults, it's not unusual, and, like, cartoons. Yeah, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something that I haven't, um, um, I didn't prep you for, so yeah, just tell me that, <laughs> but, but I just, I have that, that thing you were talking about, hierarchy, I often find, this, this, this is another thing that I feel squeamish about, is when people... Um, value fantasy or value speculation or value science fiction if it has an allegorical you know if it's saying you know this is Mm -hmm. this is you know it's about space but it's actually about ethnicity or it's about this but it's actually about you know peace or world war or climate change and I I don't know like I I think I'm really interested if it's possible to take work and make it absolutely it's probably not possible to to make it zero allegorical like we're going to go we're going to recognize things in it from you know the things that are politically charged I guess but I don't know like yeah I I often think about that you probably don't I'm probably not yeah like do you like whereas that's what I found so exciting about um his work is that some of the some of the non-real speculative elements seem to just sit that's what it is it's on the page and that's that's the world we're in and i don't need to say oh you know um the dust might is actually this or you know not that, oh right. actually it's a speck of dust isn't it you know yeah i don't know do you have any thoughts on that or am i just blathering no i i do i i think that's a really interesting take on that topic and like i'm realizing that some of the fantasy that i like really does rely on that sort of but this is about this and this is about that and so I don't have a problem with that I think it's actually really great and incredibly helpful um for certain topics especially now that like I feel like there's a whole ton of sci-fi and fantasy coming out of like the entire continent of Africa right now that's doing that in new ways and in unique ways and in ways that are connecting people to topics that they otherwise wouldn't have like come across and Mm -hmm. getting people Mm -hmm. interested in like political differences, racial differences in ways that, or even cultural like, things that happen that you're like oh I didn't know about that culture because I wasn't reading 
anything from that area. And so your folklore is a lot different than my, you know, mm. fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of what Schomburg's doing with it, it is much more like it just sits on the page and it is what it is. And it challenges you to meet it, I think. Um, And it doesn't, like, if he were asked, like, but what is the Pulvermore? I don't know that he would be like, oh, yes, the Pulvermore is, like, (laughs) a representative of this. You know, it just, it's there, and it is. Or, like, why Bob the boy? Mm. Like, why not something else? Like, I mean, obviously, there is the play on words there, and Mm -hmm. so, like, there are answers, but it's not the answers that you're, like, that you're talking about Mm -hmm. trying to get Mm -hmm. to. Um, So why does he do that? Or, like, is that... What's that sort of well, like? I think I think you've kind of answered it, and like in you saying it, I realize that um, I think that what I'm talking about is a really old fashioned kind of well, not old fashioned, but just I think because I totally hear what you're saying. Like I was just thinking, I often think of it around. Um, I often think of dispossessed, you know, by Ursula Le Guin, and like the way that we can suddenly see gender is not binary because do you know what I mean? Like because there's you know, suddenly we've got this, um, you know, this this group of people where that, you know, and it speculates into that space. And I think, yeah, I think what I really am talking about is that real old school stuff where, you know, like we have a desert planet and we have a something planet and yeah, like, and I think, and I think that's also, I think it is a little bit more rife in science fiction than fantasy, like now that I think about it, you know, like, and, and I'm just like, breaking into this whole you know like I haven't been a huge reader of um fantasy and like I'm really enjoying what I'm reading you know over the last two or three years I think it's really awesome and I think that's what I really responded to in um Schomburg's work as well um I this next question seems a bit lame but um so much of the elements seem to jump off in that similar way that Anna talked about your writing they seem to jump off from sort of like a language thing you know like there's a there's a there's a poem called the sick little boy from Wellington and he trudges away in his wellies um Gertie finds her grandmother dead when she travels to her dead grandmother's house um and you know that that thing we talked about with like the dove dove deep down um there's just so much play in it which is just so exciting like you know I don't know like what do you think about that stuff I don't know I love it like I love it it's like it doesn't all have to be serious Mm, mm. which I feel like when I'm saying oh we get to the root of all this emotion and (laughs) it sounds like I'm just like sitting here like wallowing in like these deep emotions all day and that's not generally my attitude <laughs> at all like like i i want to be entertained mm, mm. like I, I i want like there are tons of different reasons to open a book and i value books that can ent- like just entertain me mm. um it doesn't have to be like a learning experience or an emotional connection even like you can read something and just 
feel good about reading it mm-hmm. and like feel like it's heartwarming or like even just like funny or cute mm-hmm. like and not and that doesn't necessarily make it a bad poem you know or a bad piece of writing like there are movies and tv shows designed for that sort of thing too and i think that it's kind of like this book paul Vermar, um just especially for anyone who hasn't looked at it yet is like over 200 pages yeah. long and it's yeah. like a collection of what he's done in the last like three or four years at least so it's like very expansive and even though this is the first section and I think does a good job of setting up the book it does so much more than just this one note mm. um so or the notes that are being hit in this one section mm. and so like although a lot of Zach's work can be sort of repetitive to the point that I know it's scary, no scary. There's an actual index in the back that calculates, like, how many times he uses words like volcano mm-hmm. and tells you what pages they're on. Like, like he is the type of writer that some people complain about in terms of, um, like, Murakami, where it's like, People go crazy because there's always <laughs> cats or there's always, you know. Spaghetti. spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> um, or like people making food and like, you know, there's always this trope that's being hit on over and over again. And, but that's sort of like a comfort and like a way of world building, I think. And so when you're doing that sort of thing over and over, I associate that more so with narrative and with fiction, but you can do it in a more abstract way to connect poems too, Mm, mm. and to build a narrative that isn't totally just, you know, linear, but is more on a like a more again using that word emotional I guess it's like on a different level Mm. where you're coming back to the same sorts of characters or the same sorts of treatments of situations and you're like oh I'm familiar with this and there is a joy in that and there's a joy in just sitting with this um, with these oddities and getting used to the fact that he's going to be talking about things like dead grandmothers, but not necessarily in the ways that you're expecting them to be treated. Mm. Like he has this young girl approaching her grandmother's house and not necessarily then going, you know, doing, like, she does all the normal things, but then she sort of does some weird things at the end. And you're prepared for the weirdness to come in. Mm, mm. 
winter swimmers poems, like, they were all, they were not, I guess. One of them was, came way earlier than the others and sort of inherited the title. <laughs> um, but for the most part, they all sort of came out in a series and I had always assumed they would be, like, one after the next, and it was actually Anna Jackson who proposed, why don't you try to split them up? Like, what would happen if they came, you know, at different sections of the book? And what I ended up doing with those five is that I took each one and sort of paired other poems with the tone of that winter swimmer. Mm. So, like, there's a winter swimmer, and then there's, like, three or four poems, and then another winter swimmer, and the winter swimmers that you get in... in Or, sorry, the poems that you get in between the winter swimmers can all be read nicely together. Mm. Mm. Um, so, I guess, like... Um, there isn't always a reason to put all of those poems together. Sometimes it might be, like, I think there's a collection out there of Pulvermore, like, you know, in a different universe yeah. where these poems are actually, like, informing the different sections mm. of the book rather than all grouped together mm. at the beginning. I don't think there's only one way of doing it. Mm. Um, why he did it, I don't know. Mm. But I think it fits together in a way that sort of introduces all these, like there once was a sort of limerick, almost like mm. you were saying, mm. there was this thing, there was this mm. guy. Mm. And, and I think they work together mm. well. Mm. And like, I just, I love the way you're talking about um, the winter swimmers because like, I think, it's something I always find really interesting is like, I mean, there's, there's a rhythm to your book, you know, the, the winter swimmers, like there's a rhythm to it, but it, it's, it's working on a really subconscious, do you know what I mean? Like you saying that, I'm like, oh yeah, you idiot pip, how did you not pick that up? But it's happening naturally, you know, without having that knowledge, if you know what I mean, which I think is so interesting, which makes me want to um, move seamlessly onto um, your poem. The one that you chose was Spy Valley, which is the first story, um, well, sorry, the first, I'm going prose, um, the first poem in the, in the collection. And I loved what you said before about the way that the first poem can sort of teach the reader how to read the rest of the um the book and i feel like spy valley does a great job of that um would you be willing to read it sure yeah that'd be great thank you spy valley mauve colors the sky over spy valley churning a hazy film that deadens bones hold things still and deep in its grip Nothing moves. All is quiet, captive in the lush gray wash, tinging all the houses and fences and faces upturned to the sky. A dry wind sounds up from the core of the valley, moving stealthily, rasping up its walls and waves. You could catch the moment then, movement then, 
if you are looking at the trees, but you're not. You're deep in the murky light, blanketing the bush, the ferns, and down, down into the city with all its cars and the harbor with all its boats, all their starry lights switching on, moving forward, steady, steady in the dusk. It erupts then, the kaka, brash and red, swooning overhead in the evening sky, picking up speed, claiming this, this is mine. Their calls cleave the valley like lightning, crackling in the air, striking the dirt beneath your toes, and when the drops of rain hit your face thick as bread, you're unafraid. You open wide, you spread your arms and soak your skin in anguine heat, its spongy hug lulling you into sleep. Oh my god, it's magnificent. Thank you so much. Um... I wanted to ask about, like, I, I sort of found this sudden fatal flaw in the structure that I chose for this conversation. What does it mean? Because I've heard you read other poems of this from, from the collection out of context. What does it mean to look at this poem out of its family, if you know what I mean? Like, out of, out of the rest, you know, without carrying on to read um, um, the next poem do you have any thoughts about that yeah um i mean i think i've always seen this poem as the first poem mm. like in this collection it's like um it does feel very connected to the others but i and i am I am more reluctant to read this one, to be honest, during, like, events because it does feel so connected as a whole, as, like, an introduction. Like, it would almost be, like, like, it feels less like mine than a lot of the other ones because it's, like, telling the story of the other ones mm, mm. in a weird way. Yeah, yeah. Um... So yeah, I don't I don't know. It's like I want them all to stand alone and I think this one can. Mm. But in my mind the context that it gets from being read with the others is worth it. I don't know. Like like I want it to be seen in the context of the others more so than I think it just stands alone like something like Big Face Moons, which is another one. Yeah from the collection, like, can just be read on its own. Um, or, like, the one where, like, a poem where there's something sort of, like, self-contained happening. Mm. Um, I think, for me, this was one of the first poems that I wrote when I was living further into Aro Valley than I do now. Mm -hmm. I had recently moved into a house up on Mount Pleasant Street and it like was way in the back and right on the back of Zealandia. And so there were Kaka and Kereru and everything just like in the trees, screaming, 
trying to get into my house all the time. <laughs> it felt like another world. Mm. I felt disconnected from the city in the perfect way. Mm. It was like every it was like looking down and seeing just like prehistoric New Zealand like Aotearoa and like just ferns and lush green everywhere and that year which was 2015 I feel like there were several times where the sky at night just turned this like insane pink Mm. and everyone was Instagramming it (laughs) and like and I was Instagramming it and like it just felt like I felt so connected to 2015 and these people who were seeing the same sky as I was but then also this like prehistoric thing was happening in front of my eyes that connected me to like the world and like the the earth Mm -hmm. like in a way that I was like whoa like this like I'm connected to these people through technology but I'm also connected to nature through my personal location and there has to be a way to communicate that that feels contemporary Mm, mm, mm. and I tell like when people ask like what sort of poems do you write and I give the like stupid like this is my answer to that because I'm nobody I mean nobody really knows how to say (laughs) Like, what the heck do you say? Like, I write about my feelings. (laughs) Like, I don't know. But, like, when I just give my sort of, like, cheeky answer, it's usually, like, I write nature poems Mm. for people who hate nature poems. And it's like, oh, okay, Carolyn. But, like, this is the root of that. Mm. Like, it's like I want people to feel some kind of way about the natural worlds using words and technology Mm -hmm. and, like, connecting to people in the way that people connect now. Mm -hmm. And not just relying on the words that people used to do those things hundreds of years ago or old dead poets, you know, and, and feeling like there are ways that it's cool to like look at the world not even from necessarily a sense of like eco poetry although i connect with that like but just even just like just looking around and feeling connected to the earth was such a strange feeling that year And I wanted to convey it to everyone. Mm. And, like, this was sort of the poem that started all of that. Mm. Yeah. God, I just, yeah, man, that, yeah, I totally relate. I just think, yeah, and I think that it totally does convey that. Like, because that was one thing I was thinking about when I was reading it. um, Is that thing that happens when, you know, I'm, I'm in an Instagram feed and it's, 
oh, you can tell it's been an amazing sunset in Wellington and you've just got everybody's version and you can think, oh, that's from so-and-so's house and that's so-and-so walking home. And yeah, and, and yet I think there is something weird about this area that there is this constant reminder that you can be, yeah, there's a weird way in which that very simply you can be alone and in green, you know, like, it, yeah, it's, it's just, yeah. Man, I love that idea of the jewel you know that that jewel kind of looking and not looking kind of like looking and being connected yeah it's just fantastic um I I there's one line in here that I did just want to talk about being totally um what do you call it like girlies I don't know what you call it um but there's this bit that I just keep returning to over and over again where the poem goes their calls and that's the kaka their calls cleave the valley like lightning, crackling in the air, striking the dirt beneath your toes. And this is the bit that I love. And when the drops of rain hit your face, there's a line break. Thick as bread, you're unafraid. Line break. And then there's the beautiful sort of opening of the eyes and spreading of the arms. Um, this, I just really love how poetry can do this. In that thick as bread can refer to sort of it can refer to the rain to the face to you know like it might even be like because I'm thick as bread I feel afraid you know um and I just feel like there's something really special in your work and all of it that instead of sort of obliterating reality to put a fantasy world that you know is just new what it seems to do is amplify reality and in, in this way that it becomes not but you know it becomes different and there's a new way of looking at it and a weird way of looking at it and I just wonder you know they, these are poems they're all sort of they have line break they have form I'm just wondering about that idea of the relationship of a poem like this um, to that more speculative idea to that kind of shape-shifting thing that I think language can do do you have any thoughts on that? Like even down to the anguine heat, you know, the I had to look that up. It's resembling a snake. I found yeah. out. Yes. Um, but yeah, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, I mean, while you were just talking about it then, Walt Whitman popped into my yeah, head. Yeah. Where like I remember my experience and this is my ner like me really revealing my nerdy side is like I was probably a sophomore in high school, and we read Leaves of Grass. Junior, actually. No, I was a junior in high school. We read Leaves of Grass. I remember it was in, like, the Norton Anthology. Yeah. And, and this is back in the States, so I don't know if you, you guys use the Norton Anthology or not. But we I do, was like, but not to a university. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was in my, like, we had a combined history and English class, and so... We were studying him in context of like what was going on in America, and but I just remember the joy and all the exclamation points, and him really like exulting in nature, and I ran into like my parents' room and my mom because I'm an only child, so I didn't have anyone my age in the house to like <laughs> be excited with in this moment. So I ran to my mom and I was like, I'm going to read you this section. And I was like reading like leaves of grass to her and like, just like, how excited is he about this world we live in? 
And then she was like, oh my God, you know, who is my daughter? Like, luckily very accepting of me. But, I mean, that's the sort of thing that, like, has never really, like, I don't think about Walt Whitman every time I sit down with a pen. Mm. But, like, that sort of joy and, like, thought is what I want to bring to the, like, whatever the topic is that I'm writing about. And and I think there, with that, like, multiple meaning and just, like, again, bringing it back to that idea that, like, language can be used in ways that are unexpected. Mm. Um, and there isn't always a word for what you're trying to describe. Like, you need to use things like hit your face thick as bread. Like, what does that mean? It means something to you and something to me, and it seems like what it means to both of us is similar. Mm. And that means I'm doing my job there, which is that I'm trying to get to something that you can't just say, like, oh, the rain hits your face, like... I don't know, something else that's wet, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, some some other liquid. It's, like, it's just this, like, it's something that poetry does, um, does so well to me um, that you don't have to think about those constraints of, like, no, it doesn't. Mm-mm. No, you like if you're in a conversation with someone and they're like, oh my gosh, yesterday was so rainy, you're probably not gonna just come back and be like, this is thick as bread. Yeah. You know, like that's not really the way that um, you use language in a, in a traditional way. And like the fact that you can do that with things like poetry. Um, kind of sets that apart and makes it fun for me and i would even suggest like this is good this is really dumb but like i think what it does also is exposes um some of that um you know some of the way that language fails sometimes when we do try to use it as a community you know what i mean like that's what i really there's this awesome line in it as well sorry i just i just um love this bit where it says you could catch the movement then if you were looking at the trees, but you're not. And just this this amazing um, this amazing sort of idea of sort of undoing. You know what I mean? Like that it's you know you catch the movement, line break, then you know um, yeah. But just this idea that it also in a lot of the poems there's this undoing of like what we might consider to be the agreed idea of what's going on you know like capturing these moments that aren't quite which i just think is so just magnificent as well um the only the other thing i just wanted to talk to for a minute in there as well is when um like when i the first read through of this i thought oh this word erupts like the whole poem seems to like take off when the kaka moves but what I realized is right from the start there is this rumbling movement you know like um the sky is churning you know and um the winds kind of coming down the valley and there's just this really nice 
I don't know, like it, everything seems to be at play and in movement. And then, yeah, and then as the kaka explodes, oh my God, it's just so good. Do you want to talk, did this poem take a lot of reworking? Like, it, did it come out pretty much the way that it is? Or like, because the structure of it just seems so perfect. Did it just naturally come out in this kind of structure or? Um, as far as I remember, because it has been, yeah. what, four years now since I wrote this one. Yeah. A lot of the poems in this series just sort of came out from like all sort of in one like ah mm, like mm. because i was like in this space and in it alone a lot and able to sort of witness things quietly and think about them as they were happening and then try to translate them to the page, it certainly has gone through a lot of, like, individual word, like, am, is this the right word mm, for that mm, moment? Mm. But, like, the sweep of it pretty much came out in one. And then the, where does this just not make sense? And where, do, like, where can I use words like anguine and mm. get away with it, mm. you know, Honestly, some things like that may have started out as slightly different words or choices and then get swapped to something that makes more sense in that space. Mm. But for the most part, like, I was wanting to set up a description of or even just the feeling of being in this more so than a description the feeling of being in this moving moment like this like series of moments and not just show it with a picture or show it with a video but get beyond that um and there was a trajectory to it that I wanted. Like, there was a path. And the path was, from my perspective, and sweeping down into the valley, and then out into the city, and then back around, and back up. And that's what the birds were doing mm. every night. That's what my eyes were doing while I was watching this sunset happen and thinking about my friends in different parts of the city experiencing the sunset from over in Kandala or from over in Island Bay even, or like, you know, like, or the CBD. And like, what would they be looking at? What, how does this compare to what I'm seeing and what these animals and natural world around me is seeing and like how is my perspective unique um I wanted there to be that movement mm. like that sense of movement um and building up to a specific moment that like without sounding too silly is almost like orgasmic mm. like it's like mm powerful like 
when the caca, like, you're right. It's not, even though it's quiet, it's not still. Mm. Like, it's, you can feel that something is, like, coming. And then when it does, it's so powerful and drastic and sweeps through and is gone. And then when it's gone, that's when it's still. It's not it's not still at the beginning when you think it is. Mm. It's it's like once the sun has set, once it is, you know, quiet again and um and the pink is gone from the sky completely and everyone has left the C B D for the night because they're finished work, like that's when it really gets quiet. And there's this false sense of quiet at the beginning. And I wanted to get from that false sense of quiet through sort of to the end where you really can sort of say, okay, now it's done. Mm. Um, So yeah, that sense of movement and also the sense of um, a tra- like a trajectory there where it's not just senseless movement or erratic. It's like there is something going from here to there to there. Um, yeah, the that's pretty much, yeah. That's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> I really love it. Like, and it just, I mean, every time I get to talk to someone about poetry, it just blows my mind about how... It is really, it's it's little black squiggles on a white page, you know, and it's purest, but it just can do that thing. And like, um, yeah, like I, I just, yeah, that idea. And again, I just sort of th- started thinking about that idea of um, a moment, like the idea, how you were saying that these, these um, poems were all sort of written from a certain place at a certain time and there's something special that poetry can do in that way I think that um maybe oh maybe maybe other things can too and it made me think of that thing you know like that idea where we it hadn't occurred to me before but this idea of the faces upturned to the sky like um you know I was just thinking how Instagram does give me that weird sense that I can see what other people are seeing which is a really I don't know I really really love it I really love it um I think I'm almost out of questions. I think we've almost covered absolutely everything. <laughs> I did, um, I guess, I mean, I was interested. I think you've already talked about it, this idea of the, you know, there are certain things that return and um, are sort of amplified in that return, you know, like the threads, the kaka comes back, and of course um, that structure of the winter swimmers. Um, I just, do you, do you have, is that something that comes afterwards and is placed in its places or is it something that comes out naturally or is it a combination of both? I don't know. I think for me it's naturally. Yeah. Probably because I'm pretty like stupid or something and like. (laughs) The, like, I use a lot of the same words over and over again and, like, was taught growing up, like, synonyms are important and, like, don't just say the same thing over and over and, like, 
you know, why are you, you know, you've got to vary your language or people are going to get bored. And then I read back and I've written seven poems and I've used the same language in all of them. And it's like, why can't I move beyond this one idea? But like, maybe there's something in that too. Like, I don't know. I'm going to own it because like, I, I see people like Zachary Schomburg doing it and what the way that he's owning it works where people enjoy, like, I mean, you hear about, like, what is it? It's like, in marketing, it takes, like, eight times mm. for someone, like, to connect with something and buy it. Like, you have to, like, shove it in their faces, like, seven or eight different ways or, like... You know, it takes like eight times of seeing something on TV before you'll be like, oh, I'll buy that, you know. And and I know that works for me in terms of like music. Like I'll listen to a song and the first time I listen to it, I'm like, this is horrible. And then it plays over and over again. And by the eighth or ninth time, I'm like, this is my jam. Yeah. Like, I love this. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> so... I guess if you're trying to do something with a collection and you are, you know, kind of honing in on this collective, like, noise, then you can sort of gain something by returning over and over again to a topic as long as you're not just repeating the same perspective over... Like, to me at least in poetry, I wouldn't want to just hit the same note. Mm. But if I'm interested in a topic, why not visit it over and over again? Mm. Like, if you become obsessed with something or you're really interested in something, you're not just going to want to talk about it once to one person. (laughs) You're talking to everyone about it and it comes out again and again. And obviously, topic-wise, that's one thing. But then I even find, like, specific words Mm. that you, like, kind of just get into this, like, groove of, like, I, like, use the word big, like, 20 times, probably, in, like, one, one or two poems. And it's like, why? Why the word big? I don't know. You know? But, like, that's just sort of... um, It's something that sort of, like, I think happened naturally, and then you can go back and look and say, okay, is this serving the purpose I need it to? What is... What am I trying to do? Mm -hmm. Does it serve better to find another way to talk about this without just repeating the same word? Or is it serving a purpose of, like, building a connection between poems or building a language that the reader can connect to and get a sense of the environment of this situation? Like, it, it's not always... Um, necessary I think to say okay I'm only going to talk about this in this one way in this one poem there are so many different ways of looking at different things um that some of them like for me the winter swimmers deserved 
like a return to. And each of them stems from something different, means something different, but pulls together in a way that I don't know what else I would call it, Mm. you know? Because that's what I think is so... I mean, that's what I found really successful in it, is that every time... Every time one of these, I start, you know, like Easter, you know, every time it sort of comes again, like the word thread, it's like, oh, thread again. And then here it is at a different angle in a different way. And it's just, I just think it's so successful. I think it's really, really successful. Years ago, you used to be able to do this thing with word documents where you could automatically make a, um, like an abstract. And it was just so fucking great because sometimes you'd put your you know, like your novel through it and it would just tell you, and it was just based on most used words. And yeah, I, I just, I really loved it because I have an obsession with the word thing. And um, I also use sort of a lot and really, and like, I, I always, yeah, I just think that it, I think that there's some interesting kind of DNA experiment that could be done with that. It's awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for this magnificent book. Like, I just, I love it so much. It was so great to read it again for this interview. And thank you for your time today. Thank Laura. you. And thank you for introducing me to another amazing poet. And yeah, you're amazing. Thank you very much. Thank you for